0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com.
1: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com tech.
0: Democrats and Republicans agree on very little these days unless they can band together and use the force of government to sue a company into oblivion. Then they're all together. 42 attorneys general across the United States are suing Meta, the parent company of Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, and they are going to try and force the sale of Instagram and WhatsApp, and they're going to try and find them for all kinds of different reasons. So we're gonna to talk to James Chernowski, a Young Voices contributor, about these lawsuits. This lawsuit, it's a single lawsuit. They're all acting together. And why are they doing it? What is the goal? And what does the future look like for social media? And we have a little bit of a debate, a slight debate, on whether or not social media is actually harmful and addictive. So stay tuned right here on The Chris Spangle Show. We run on the value for value model here on The Chris Spangle Show and the We Are Libertarians podcast network. That means, do you get value out of the show? Do you learn something that helps you sound smarter when talking with your friends? Do you feel a little bit more connected to the world and inspired to do something a little bit differently? Well, then please give some value back. And the best way that you can do that is through our Patreon you can go to supportCSS.com or patreon.com slash we are libertarians and you can join our patreon not only do you support the program and the entire we are libertarians podcast network by helping pay all of the bills you're also going to get ad free shows you're going to get early releases sometimes months in advance in terms of episodes that haven't been released in the public feed yet you'll also be able to get the full archives the full rss feed of all the past episodes and there's even a tier that you can come on the show or you can have your name mentioned every episode like i am about to do right now thank you so much to our 100 a month members especially vincent Picole matthew durbin jason Doolittle, christy avery and our good friend reinhold thank you so much for supporting us and we appreciate everybody that considers making a contribution today It's always great to talk to you. You are a senior policy analyst at Americans for Prosperity, Young Voices contributor. We always have you on to talk all things digital and tech, specifically where the government starts to meet tech. And unfortunately, it seems like it's meeting it a lot lately. So let's start with Meta Facebook. I won't call it X. I won't call it Meta. Facebook getting sued by was it forty eight attorney generals or forty it was forty two attorney generals what what is happening?
1: Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. This was actually now back at the back end of uh, October. You had forty two ultimately state attorneys general go and file a lawsuit against Meta, Facebook's parent company, claiming that the website uh, that the company was actually responsible for going and creating addictive features for kids and teens trying to keep them on the platform. And then by extension two there was also claims that the company had violated what is called the Children's Online Privacy Protection Act, COPPA. But that part we don't necessarily have much insight into because that part of the claim was pretty heavily redacted. So we could not necessarily go and comment on that. But this is just the latest trend that's been going on with social media, where you identify a social ill in the world, and naturally it must be Meta's fault. It can't possibly be attributable to anything else. And so now you have 42 states' attorney general that are signed on to this. Unsurprisingly, that is, I think, a strong indication of how many politically oriented uh, people, certainly attorney generals count as them, see this as an opportunity for headline generation, as well as putting themselves out there if they're seeking some other kind of political office, maybe down the line. There's a lot of reasons why it makes sense if you are an attorney general, why you might want to be participating in this. But ultimately, what I think is wrong with this lawsuit is that you are trying to hold accountable for social ills, one. And then two, you're also just fundamentally misunderstanding the, the underlying technology in and of itself to accuse the company of somehow addicting kids to social media. And I think that the evidence that surrounds that is, we'll, we'll say spotty at best. And, and that's why I think it's a little unfortunate because now rather than focusing on developing its products and focusing on consumer facing things that can help it go and survive in the long run, Meta's going to be spending millions of dollars on lawyers to defend itself in court now for this particular lawsuit, notwithstanding any of the other dozens of lawsuits that people love filing against these companies. So it's a little bit unfortunate in my view.
0: So are they filing 42 separate lawsuits or is there some sort of class action state lawsuit that's going on?
1: Yeah. So this is just the 42 going and filing together. Originally when it was done, I think it was actually a little bit lower. It was 33, but then it was later reported that number went up to 42. They might be having a separate filing. I'd have to go back and look at it. But my understanding is right now, at least for the original 33, that's all just one complaint that's been collected to represent the 33 attorneys general. And this does include the District of Columbia's attorney general too, even though they are not a state. You've got all those people going and filing in this case so do you dispute that it
0: is let's take the addictive part and we'll talk about kids next but do you dispute that
1: these platforms are addictive yeah absolutely i don't think that there's any there's obviously a lot of studies that come out that go and talk about this but i think that you have to take them with a lot of grain of salt we certainly looked at other kinds of studies from the mental health angle that go and say that it has negative mental health outcomes for kids and Again, some of the studies there are less than ideal. I know one of them, it was basically going and saying it was self-reporting from kids about how they were feeling and how long they were staying on and what they were looking at. Another one was going and they created accounts on their own and then were explicitly looking for certain types of content. And then unsurprisingly, the algorithm goes and, and shows that to you. And there's not really any way of discerning if it was like something negative versus positive. So you could be seeing, let's say, if you were thinking about like an eating disorder, which is one of the common ones that like Francis Hogan was talking about when we were looking at the Facebook files last year, there was no way of really discerning whether or not it was like something that was positive about how somebody might've overcame their eating disorder. It would just lump them all together as eating disorder content. So that's not necessarily all that helpful. Again, I think that there's a lot more than meet, that meets the eye here. There's certainly a lot of non-social media related factors that go and attribute to why we're seeing some of the things that are there. But the notion that it's addicting I think the best way that I'd look at it, uh, and this was actually relatively recent news, is that it's basically reopening the old debates that we had about video games in this same exact line of of, of thinking. Uh, Video games, when we were having that discussion during that moral panic, that was the accusation that they were addicting, that they were causing men to have different emotional responses, that they were more violent, etc., Uh, But a lot of those early studies were actually lacking, I think, a lot of foundational research to go and back it up. They were just shoddy and needed a lot more investment and further research there, because ultimately what is that it's pretty inconclusive when you're looking at addiction studies for these kinds of things. What you will find is that people that tend to have addictive personality traits will tend to be addicted to things no matter what they are. And that would include social media. But that's impossible for a company to know. when it's some random user out of the six plus billion people that live on this planet as to what you might be predisposed to. I think that, again, the addiction stuff is less than convincing to me because at the end of the day, what it is doing with the algorithms is it's connecting people with content that they like. That's part of their model, more broadly speaking. If they were not connecting you with things that you like, then you probably wouldn't be using them all that often, and then they wouldn't be making money and probably not exist in the kind of rhyme and fashion that we see them today. Some people might view that as a positive, but I think that's actually a net loss because... Those same companies represent trillions of dollars in economic activity, more broadly speaking. And I think that if you're worried about these kinds of things, that there are less restrictive means and other kinds of things that we can pursue that can tackle those very issues that people are highlighting.
0: What would some of those be for you? Because I I look at it and I go, as a naturally addictive person, (laughs) I I can certainly understand exactly what you're saying. And I spend a lot of time on social media, far too much time on social media. And I think it it hits in terms of people's shared reality, like video games. I've noticed with a lot of my friends, that was a stumbling block for them, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think that... Yeah, some video games are meant to keep you addicted or or in the game. That's the gamification part of it. Social media, obviously the dopamine hits, just the way that it's structured constantly gives you that feedback to keep you wanting more, keep you checking it. So in my own life and in the people around me, I see that and go, I I see some valid argument for why these companies would want to keep me spending two out of every five minutes on social media. So I think your criticism strikes at that kind of if it's just plain to see for everybody mm-hmm. not as much as uh i don't feel like i'm being bamboozled by a study i think i'm feeling it right so yeah. how do you sort through that because this is a obviously you're pitted against what's the what's jonathan height who blames social media for the destruction of all of civilization <laughs> yeah so I, I i do agree that there there has to be some middle ground here and that suing them from the government standpoint, isn't the right way to do it, but like, where's the line for you? Okay. So in that context, at what ground are you willing to concede that these services do have some inherent issues, even if they do have a lot of inherent goods too?
1: Yeah. And and I think that it's just about having an honest conversation. Uh, It starts with that in terms of understanding where social media's benefits and, and downfalls might be. I can't help but think like people like to blame social media, sin, like, uh, for, again, for a variety of reasons. So the one that I think about is polarization. People go and say social media is going and polarizing people in our society, and that's not good. It's social media's fault. But the problem that again, that's not necessarily true. We saw a very large study that was done. I want to say it was out of one of the UK's top universities. It might have been Oxford, if memory serves. And they were looking at polarization trends and whether or not social media was actually going and playing any kind of statistically significant role there. And they're not. That's what the study found. So I think that the data doesn't necessarily support it. I think that there's a a different kind of mental, psychological bias that kicks in because to your point, you're feeling it and you can see it in a more intimate setting. So it doesn't necessarily correlate out the same way that we might think. But I think that when we're talking about what the solution looks like, there's three prongs, I think. One, it's about just for you as an individual learning to get offline. Lord knows, as you mentioned, you're very online because of the work you're doing. I'm certainly very online with the work that I'm doing. Um, But I also find time and dedicate time to actually explicitly getting offline. Like back in the summer, I did a vacation out to West Virginia because I just needed to get away from the world and my brain was otherwise fried. So it was nice to go and be in an area where I literally did not have cell reception for 30 minutes while trying to get where I was going in West Virginia. On the flip side, too, I think that on a more broad level for kids, it's about literacy efforts because – Kids have been using social media for some time, but I don't necessarily think that they're always aware of what are the upsides and the downsides. And so make no mistake, there are upsides to social media usage for kids, particularly during the pandemic. That was actually one of the bright spots for kids was that social media was one of the things that helped kept them connected to their communities, to their friends, to family, et cetera. So there were a lot of positives that were there. But on the flip side too, there are the downsides that can go and show up, but it's not necessarily tied to social media. It's just tied to what I would say are just basic societal ills. Oh, if people are fat shaming one another or bullying each other online, that's not any different than what you have in an offline context. I went to high school. Those were some mean little kids that were there sometimes. We were horrible to each other. And so I think that's like a different kind of conversation that you need to have around how do you go and deal with those social interactions? What kinds of things that can we do to go and support kids better so that they can go and navigate that setting? And also, I think that the other thing that's interesting in the data, and uh, Will Reinhardt over from the Center for Growth and Opportunity at Utah State University highlighted this, is that Uh, When you're looking at the data for mental health statistics, we were actually in a period for quite some time where we were at a very low uh, portion of self-reported suicide ideation and and those kinds of um, things. And that maybe what you're doing, what you're seeing here emulate out is that you're having a revert to the mean because we were in a low period for so long. And I think that lastly, like for the kids, for the parents, it's about giving parents the controls and making it as easy as possible where we can for them to go and tailor the online experience for kids, more broadly speaking. Because at the end of the day, that's your best tool to go and protect your kid from something that's out there. Is You, yourself, within your family unit, setting up those controls, setting up those limitations, etc. The company's apps themselves have those kinds of controls there. The phones that you give those kids have controls on there, too. There are third-party apps on the app stores that those phones give you that can give you control over what your kids are seeing. I know it's a lot. And this is where I think where the companies can actually have a role looking forward is, it's a big investment in boots on the ground kind of strategy and connecting with people and parents that are offline because they're just working, working a lot, they're living their lives, trying to go and be a good parent, etc. And they don't look at the LinkedIn advertisement for Instagram. that's talking about the kids tools that they have available for parents to use, right? So that means that you have to do more investing in boots on the ground, local partnerships with like organizations to actually explain what those controls are and how parents can go and use them better, which is admittedly a very hard conversation to do. But to pretend that simply suing social media companies is going to go and solve the problem here is just it's flat out wrong.
0: Yeah, I, I saw a pastor recently talking about how his two boys aren't going to get cell phones until they're 18. And he had a whole conversation. I wish I could remember the name of that podcast because it was really interesting. But he was basically saying, um, look, I don't want my kids to have the weight of the world on their shoulders trying to figure out what is morally right or wrong about Israel and Palestine Mm -hmm. when they're 14 years old and need to be focusing on their homework like Maybe we just shouldn't be giving kids cell phones. And if you do give them a cell phone, maybe they ought to have a cricket, like a, a, a little flip phone, right? Make it easy on them. And I know it's hard. My daughter is right here watching a tablet as we try to, otherwise she'd be on screen with me. And so I think there's a certainly a place for that where you can monitor it. But part of the answer may just be like culturally, we need to start changing When we give kids phones and making I know it's going to be hard and I know they're going to feel alienated and they're going to feel disconnected from some parts and they show up to the party and everybody else is on their phone. But maybe they could be a leader in that situation and say, let's all just put our phones in the basket and actually like converse and do something different. So I, I take your point that, James, that there should be maybe some cultural influences and some we have control. We're not we haven't lost all of our autonomy to meta and Twitter and all that.
1: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And that's an outcome that I refuse to accept. I don't think that people have lost all agency in how they're operating in an online ecosystem or in an offline one for that matter. I think that we have a lot of control over our lives and the decisions that we make and we need to be held accountable for those. For example, like even in my own life, weight's been an issue for me for many years and I I took advantage of that. Like I needed to go and, and have a solution to that. So I started going to the gym a lot more. That's a choice that I'm making in my own personal life. And that's the kind of stuff that you're trying to implement here. Maybe it's to your point where we culturally come to a point where we're saying we're not going to give kids smartphones that are unfiltered, if you will, and setting up those controls before you give your kid a phone. As you pointed out, you could also give them a old traditional flip phone or a kids-oriented phone like a Gab or the Cricket that you're referencing there. And also, too, I think it's uncomfortable, too. And this is certainly up to each family's individual discretion for how they want to talk about it. but. At some point, you're going to have a conversation with your kids about the the big world of, that is the Internet and what's going to be on there, because at the end of the day, what's also going to be equally as bad, too, and, and to some degree, in my view, is if you go from zero to 100 of having no, no exposure to what's out there and then all of a sudden just having the floodgates open and just overwhelm you, too. So Again, I think that it's about trying to go and find a way where we can better educate our children to be good digital citizens so that way they can be better prepared for some of these things that they might see that's so unpleasant or some of the things that they might do to one another as they're growing up. Again, it's not there's no one single silver bullet solution here. Let's not pretend that there is. If you're a legislator or if you're just a opining person like Jonathan Haidt, you can't sit there and pretend that there's a single silver bullet solution here. We have to have a more nuanced conversation. And again, there are cultural things that are going on, I think, that we've had in the last 20 years that are completely unrelated to the technology, but get reflected through the technology that maybe conservatives or more liberal people might be taking issue with in one way or another. And that's something that I think that we have to take a closer look at, too. What have we done, societally speaking, within that culture that has shifted in the last 20 years that might be attributing to some of these negative outcomes that are there. Right. Because again, the world that I grew up in is a lot different than the world that we have today. And these kids are digital natives, whereas I grew into it. And I'm certainly more of a digital native than my parents and my grandparents, but Gen Z is like truly the first generation. That's a purely digital native <laughs> generation. So they, they have unique things that they're trying to sort through. And I think that's really where we all could stand to go and grow.
0: Maybe my parents with the computer in the kitchen had it right. Yeah. yeah, I think if you read Bowling Alone, for instance, which was first written before the internet, that outlines all of these different ways that society has become fragmented and polarized. And like one kind of hidden thing right now is travel ball, right? So where I, when I grew up, you had optimist, And so everybody in playing field played against each other. And so you're playing against your classmates, building bonds or building frenemies and now you have travel ball. So your playing field is playing Avon and Brownsburg and Greenfield. Like they're not, and, and it's taking up all of this time and money and fragmenting nuclear families because one parent has to be over here. Another has to be over here. Like those are those little things that people don't stop and go. Maybe it's not social media. Maybe it's just a lack of family time. It's a lack of financial resources. It's a lack of friendships in our community, within our local area. Now, those things I think are unseen, and it's just easy to blame the thing that the media says is bad, which, look, I'm not saying the social media is all that healthy for you. I I certainly, like, I'm working on a project right now, James, where podcasters should start thinking about in-person community. And how do we grow that as opposed to thinking of podcasting as the driver of your big online brand? Mm -hmm. Start building local community based on your niche. Oh, Uh, 100%. Flip the script.
1: Yeah, 100%. I think that's great. I'm I'm certainly glad to hear that. I think that in general, you want to be encouraging a more interactive experience between people to foster connections between one another. So that way you can encourage a a culture that reinforces people having those conversations and being open with one another and exploring and challenging one another. Whereas I think that we've seen on average, and it was actually to your point, we were talking a little bit before the show um, about the conflict between Israel and Hamas. Um, You see some polling there that's quite interesting in terms of how people view that depending on where you line within the age demographics, right? So I think that to your point, you want to go and have a community fostered approach, because then you can actually facilitate and have that conversation in a less polarized manner than you otherwise would. And I think it's great that you brought up the the, the activities, because one thing that I saw that was completely unrelated uh, to social media more directly, but I think actually is one of those sub factors that people are not paying enough attention to was there was a study that came out I was analyzing the amount of extracurricular individual like activities that kids had available to them in the last 10, 15 years. And what they found was that from having an average of 90 plus minutes of that kind of stuff available, it went down and shrunk quite considerably. Mm-hmm. And there's something to be said about what happens when all of a sudden you don't have travel baseball anymore or you're not doing it as much or that population that's willing to do it is smaller, or doing the intramural sports or things of that nature, right? If we're taking those away for one reason or another, or removing kids' ability to go and be kids, and I forget what the exact movement for that is, for free-range parenting, there it is. Yeah, Letting kids be kids in some respects, right? I think that in some ways that's also contributing to the thing, right? And that's just, again, one piece of the largest slice of the pie there. And you got to go and figure out what's that ratio of it. And then what can we do to go and tackle those issues? And the more that we focus on that, the more likely we are to start actually solving the underlying issue that's here. And I, I think that what you need to be focused on too is, again, you're blaming social media, whether it's for polarization, whatever. But you got to look at the underlying content. If it's polarization, I can't help but notice that traditional media is posting a lot of content that is polarizing in and of itself that people are sharing on social media. But yet they're not getting any kind of flack for the stuff that they're putting out there that is inflammatory, incendiary, and polarizing in and of itself. Traditional cable news has done that for many years. Radio is doing it for many years. There's a very perverse incentive to do that. But again, it's going to be a very hard and long conversation that we need to have between now and looking forward it really seems to me like if hillary clinton had won this wouldn't be an issue
0: <laughs> like it really seemed to start when hillary clinton lost and it's the, all of a sudden there became a, a the scary notion in washington dc that facebook and all, all of our data and all blah, blah 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 i don't know i buy some of it i do think there is some impact when in terms of what you're being catechized with and constantly seeing and I'm seeing nothing but pro Israel content right now. So it's making me go, all right, maybe all these people who are saying this aren't right because I'm seeing the opposite over here, but it's trained my feed to not show me the balance, right? Like it's, it does tip you, but it's, it it doesn't mean that's doing that for everybody. It's hyper individualized. It's like the, youth mm-hmm. pastor who stood up and said that tiktok is bad for you because it's nothing but girls shaking their booties mm-hmm. and then they stood up and said well, by the way it just shows you what you click on <laughs> right but yeah i no. think i think this is i almost feel like this is a uh, big tobacco for this generation of politicians
1: yeah, no, certainly there have been quite a few people that have made that reference. I always, I'm not necessarily a fan of the insofar as that tobacco causes cancer, which will ultimately kill you, but social media, you're not necessarily getting killed because of that per se. I think that to your points there with the Israel Hamas content, actually TikTok just put out like a newsroom post about this the other day because they had those kinds of uh, accusations flying around in the opposite direction where we're saying TikTok is going and pumping pro-Palestine content as opposed to pro-Israel content. But it's a lot more complex than that. There are people that know how to go and game social media, if you will, in terms of getting more exposure for yourself through hashtags or other kinds of things. But that's not necessarily because of the social media company in and of itself. It's because somebody is actually just good at knowing how to use that technology for their aims. So I think that there's that distinction that matters. But also, again, at least to that conflict, I go back to the point that I'm saying before where... That's a root cause that's tied to something that's completely outside the realm of social media. If you don't like what you're seeing in that respect, look at your colleges and universities that are going and producing this stuff from kids because of the kinds of things that they're teaching there. Again, there's something else that's deeper If you're trying to keep everything in this conversation at the surface level, which is what I think it is when you're blaming social media, you're actually not getting down the stack, if you will, to the actual underlying content and what's driving that, where we should be having more serious conversations. And we should be having a more nuanced understanding of what exactly is driving it there. Because again, I think social media at the surface level just serves as a reflective mirror of where people are at and what they're thinking. And if we're trying to put the blame on them for that, I think that's inappropriate and misplaced. We need to be looking at the actual underlying stuff that's not tied to the platform, but rather tied to the actions of individuals and what they're doing and what's driving them to do that. When we understand that better, we can go and try to have conversations about fixing those. That's where the focus needs to be.
0: So where does this lawsuit go? Obviously, it's just going to turn on. One of the one of the things states do is they like to sue to just starve these companies out of money, create a big black hole, in their budget line is that the goal here where does this ultimately go how long does this last is there a settlement put on your nostradamus hat
1: yeah that, that that'll be interesting obviously there's not anything that we can say with too much certainty assuming that this goes to trial With with the court, as we're going through the process here, no matter what happens, the losing side will go and appeal. And I'm sure we'll see this, as many other cases have in this space, make its way up to SCOTUS, the Supreme Court. And you have that going on right now with both the net choice cases that are tackling the Florida and Texas social media laws as well as now what is Murthy v. Missouri, which was Missouri v. Biden. All those are going up to the Supreme Court next term in the spring, and that's all focusing around speech online, which I think is extremely critical. But on this front, if they were to go and lose, ultimately, and, and we were to fast forward, I think that actually results in a detrimental impact on innovation, more broadly speaking. It means that you can't dare to innovate and create a new product because somebody's going to try to ambulance chase you and sue you for it. There was actually just one that broke out today, um, where you had a class action on addiction claims against Meta and some of these others, or some of the things were allowed to proceed because it was underneath this legal theory of product design liability. And if that's the case, and you're a company that even if they settle, what that creates the incentive to do is why bother rolling out new features and, and products if we run the risk of getting sued for every single little thing that we do, claiming that it's not designed right or something, when that's not necessarily even the case. So, again, I think that there are some real implications here should the social media companies lose in this kind of an effort. I think that it also represents a potential threat to our online anonymous speech, more broadly speaking, because what you're seeing some of the companies start turning to is supporting age verification or age assurance style legislation as a way of trying to meet lawmakers where they're at. And that's bad. Because at least in the United States, we have a First Amendment, so we don't necessarily have to worry about it as much. But I'm old enough to remember when then Attorney General Kamala Harris tried going and forcing us to disclose that Americans for Prosperity our donors there. And we sued her and took her to the state to the Supreme Court, ultimately, and won because of the right for anonymous association rights. You don't have to go and have that kind of put, put down on you, right? And the same thing should apply here in the United States. Now, take it outside the United States, and the really alarming aspect of this is that I can see a China, a Turkey, some authoritarian regime inserted here going and knowing that- Right. (laughs) Knowing that you have these accounts that are posting content online that are critical of the regime, that are critical of the leaders, that are critical of a particular policy proposal. And those same governments going to these social media companies, knowing that they've had to verify the users and be like, give us the names of these people. Mm -hmm. And eventually, because of the way that it works out. A company is going to break eventually because they can't just keep taking sustained pressure, especially with Europe that just loves suing and fining the living bejesus out of the tech sector. It's just unsustainable. So I'd be really careful and worried about what ultimately transpires out of this.
0: Yeah. Do you think in five years, I know meta for instance in europe is going to start charging u- users and have a paid tiered system that says look if you want to give us your data you get to use it free and you get ads and then if you don't want us to have your data the, and this is a way to get around regulators and then obviously elon musk has said hey twitter x is all going to be paid that's the only way to get rid of bots which will destroy this sir.' i don't I pay for X because I think it is better. I can post longer videos. Mm -hmm. Like they give me a reason to do it. Facebook, meta, Instagram, there's no reason to pay them $13 for what they're offering. And not everybody's going to make that choice. And so when 80% of your user base declines to use it, then there's going to be no point to pay for it anymore because it's going to be useless. So do you think paid social media ends up being the norm in a few
1: years? Not necessarily. And what I would liken it to is like, I think we had a similar conversation years ago when we saw cut the cord movement going and being viral because Netflix was around and being popular and Hulu was around and being popular. And these services, mind you, were extraordinarily cheap. You're talking about what it used to be like eight bucks a month for Netflix. Now it's a lot more than that.
0: (laughs) 22. We're at the free tier watching ads and not getting the whole catalog to save money. It's because you don't get me started, James, but let me go. If you want to watch sports, you've got to have $10 to Big Ten, $12 yeah. to F1. You've got to pay Peacock for IndyCar. You've got to pay for yeah. college Pacers basketball on Bally's. right? And so all of a sudden, then you've got to have all the services. You're at a cable's worth subscription,
1: and you just go, I, I,
0: this isn't the utopia that I thought it would be, James.
1: Yeah. But, and that, and that's more or less my argument for what you might see transpire in social media where it's like, There's actually only so much that people are willing to go and pay for things. And that's why social media was so popular was that you didn't have to pay for it, but you got an immense amount of value for the product because you were getting connected with billions of people in the case of Meta and hundreds of millions of people in the instance of X who were going and just pontificating and giving you cute cat videos. Or if you're a Politico, watching people duel in the little Twitter coliseum that it was, right? People like that. And maybe that's a guilty pleasure and they don't want to admit to it. But the reality is is that they like that. And if you're saying now that every single social media service is going to convert to a a freemium kind of service, if you will, the users are going to lose out. Because usually in that kind of a a, a format, you're starting to actually go and pair back features that are available to users in order to try to coax them into giving you their money for premium services with those same features. You mentioned X wanting to go and charge all new Twitter users a single dollar, I think at a minimum, was what I saw the most recent one for. I think that's silly in many respects. And the bot problem hasn't been solved on Twitter. It's not going to get solved anywhere right now either. I think that's a really impossible task to do, especially if you're trying to respect anonymous speech again, that's just going to be really difficult to navigate. So I don't necessarily think that freemium will certainly, I think, become more prevalent. I don't think that the uptake will be great. If you look at Twitter's model, right, again, because that's his notion, he wants to go and have people paying for Twitter Blue, that way he can insulate himself against the pressure that many of these companies feel sometimes from advertisers that threaten to pull ads if their advertisement is up next to content that they find, you know, objectionable, right? So Elon's theory was like, if I just have more people on Twitter Blue, then I don't have to worry about that. But the numbers for that have been... Quite frankly, atrocious. I remember like looking at one report, and it was like barely half a million people were going and signing up for Twitter Blue, which represented only like a cup, several million dollars or whatever, by comparison to the billions of dollars that they get through advertising. Um, but that's the kind of thing that you would see playing out more broadly speaking across any of these platforms. Because again, people only have so many dollars to spare. And if you're gonna make everything into an a la carte experience for your life. Um, people are going to go and choose on the margins and that actually represents a lot of negative down downstream effects for the companies themselves. And by extension, us as users being able to express ourselves online, which I think would be a terrible loss.
0: Yeah. It's hit podcasters. Now subscriptions used to be the bread and butter of podcasting because ads were really only for the top echelons. They -hmm. still really are. But the only way that I can pay for we are libertarians podcast network is through our Patreon. And we've mm-hmm. just had a precipitous drop over the last year is just subscription fatigue has started to hit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's part of it. Part of it is just the difference in the show. It's definitely there and it's definitely real. So it hits content creators that are independent too, because, yeah. man, how many different locals and YouTube subscriptions and yeah G- chats and get five bucks here, five bucks? It eventually just wears out, and you just go, especially in times of inflation. Hey, I just don't have another $5 and I understand it. It stinks because we eventually have to start making decisions here, but that's just how it is. Like I get it
1: in this economy. You want me to go and give more money? Yeah, I get you know, it. People can't afford to to go and do that endlessly. And I actually, I'm really appreciative of the fact that you highlighted the content creators because they're the ones who are actually at biggest risk here from any of these kinds of changes. Because don't forget, certainly this applies to the upper echelon for sure. But even in a decent number of content creators, they usually get some kind of monetization through YouTube or through Twitch or some of these other things. And again, if these companies have to go and change their the way that their companies are structured as a result of these lawsuits or as a result of legislative changes... That means that more money is getting gobbled up to deal with the compliance for those things, which means that there's less money available to get distributed to the content creators that are actually creating good things that users do. Like we are libertarians or I like watching Giants Now by Chat Sports, which is its own separate entire digital business that is based off of having a live YouTube show covering all the different NFL, NBA teams, etc. They don't get to go and survive as easily in that environment because, again, now there's less money available for them. People are going to have the subscription or the donation fatigue because they don't have the money with crushing inflation being persistent into our economy for years on end now and not so great prospects for growth looking forward. It's just an unsustainable path. So I really do hope that the platforms are able to prevail because it actually supports an ecosystem that lets us enjoy the things that make the Internet so great.
0: All right, shameless self-promotion time. Where can people follow you on your free social media to find out more?
1: (laughs) Yes, you can follow me on X, formerly known as Twitter, uh, at JamesCZ19. And you can always go and check out my profile on the Young Voices website, which is youngvoices.com com, or you can go and check on all my latest commentary doing tech policy things. So thanks for having me, Chris. It's always great chatting with you.
0: Yeah. Likewise. I like the new look. You got like a five o'clock shadow and longer hair. You look like (laughs) Miami Vice over here.
1: I'm trying my best.
0: (laughs) All right. Thanks for joining me. Thanks. Thanks for joining me, listeners. We really do appreciate you being here listening to James talk about this subject. And if you learned something, please share it. That's the best way that you can help Content creators like James, like myself, spread the word about these different ideas and also second best, maybe the first best. I don't know. Support us on Patreon. It really does uh, help. And thank you so much for joining us here on The Chris Spangle Show.